welcome to the Modern Fairy Sightings podcast, where we listen to people's fairy encounters. But take heed, we're not talking about winged tinkerbells here. These are real fairies, real encounters that took people like you and I by surprise. Stay a while and hear their stories. My name is Joe Hickey Hall and I'm a folklore researcher. This podcast is of course free, but to ensure it continues, it does require support. If you can support the show and its continued research, there are a number of tiers to choose from, starting from a pound a month at patreon.com forward slash the Modern Fairy Sightings Podcast. From the fairy folk tier upwards, you'll have access to my monthly path workings, which are lead meditation visualizations. These aid inner journeying. With your support, I'm hoping to dedicate more time to this research and producing fortnightly podcast episodes. If you can't afford to support, then please do rate the podcast and it would be a great help if you can share your favourite episodes with your friends. Thank you. Thanks for joining me for number 12, the final episode of series one. Feels like a real milestone. To mark the end of our first set of explorations into the unknown, we're joined by special guest Dr. Neil Rushton, author and fairy experience investigator. As well as talking around my various musings during this series, Neil shares his own experiences. He also offers his perspective on why and how people see fairies and how this differs to the reductionist, materialist worldview on the matter. Neil's blog site, Dead But Dreaming, wordpress.com is an excellent resource that I'd recommend you check out. His articles cover fairy-associated folklore as well as some deeper digs into the connection between fairy encounters and altered states. There are some books mentioned in the course of our conversation and these, along with some other suggested reading material, is on my show notes at scarletofthefay.com where you'll also find links to Neil's blog to his two novels too. It was really great to chat to him and hear his perspective on all of this. And as always, I love to hear your thoughts on all of this too. Thank you for your messages and emails. It always makes my day to hear from you. You can contact me via my website at scarletofthefay.com and tweet me at underscore remain underscore curious. As this is the last episode of the series, I'll be back at the end with some very exciting news about a very special bonus episode, a big reveal, and how you can take part in forming what Series 2 might look like. Enjoy and see you at the end. Time to episode I'm really excited to have with me Dr. Neil Rushton. Neil's written two novels which feature fairy encounters and he researches fairy folklore particularly from esoteric perspectives. Some of these achieved through altered states of consciousness so you've got quite a lot of interest in that Neil haven't you? So welcome. Hello Joe. Hello because we have spoken before haven't we quite a few years ago now when um When we were kind of first starting out, when Mark Norman and I were researching for Simon Young's book, Magical Folk, British and Irish Fairies, 500 AD to the Present, giving its full title. But um, at that time, it was quite early on and and 
think at that point we were setting up the Facebook group, Modern Fairy Sightings, and we had a really good chat back then and exchange experiences. And we've sort of stayed in touch since then, haven't we? And um, I don't know about you, but it seems to me that there's just more and more interest in this subject. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, uh, I think that was that must have been 2016. Yeah. Um, when, as you say, what you were setting up at the time, and I was at that time just setting up my blog site called Dead But Dreaming, where I had decided to write a series of articles. Didn't know how many I was going to write or, or what perspective I was going to come from. But it soon became clear in through 2016 that I wanted to come at it from a very as you say, esoteric viewpoints. Um, I, I'd spent many years before that looking at the folklore, as, you, as you, you need to understand at quite a fundamental level the historical folklore of a phenomenon such as the fairies. And you've got to understand it in order to then start building upon it and certainly yeah. before you start to look at modern encounters and how the phenomenon has morphed into something else over the last maybe decade or so, oh, well, maybe a couple of decades. And, uh, and, and you're right, there, are, there has, I've noticed, certainly since 2016, mm. uh, a great increase in the number of websites, Facebook pages, social media uh, type accounts, uh, as well as books. Yes. Um, about, about the subject, all of them coming from slightly different perspectives. But a lot of those people will be plugging into the more esoteric elements of, 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 of fairy folklore and the modern fairy phenomenon, I think, yeah. Yeah, that is really true. Do you have any ideas why that might be, that people have suddenly had a surge of interest in fairies? I think it's something like a, a snowball effect, where you have a phenomenon which is a long-standing, centuries-old, maybe even millennia-old phenomenon, such as the fairies. And partly due to the internet and the ease of communication now, and partly because a few people started to look at it from different angles, from more esoteric angles. Mm. And once a few people do it, other people who are also interested in that different perspective, uh, myself included, will start to tag on, will read what they've got to say or listen to what they have to say, and then realize, actually, I can take this a little bit further, either through my own experiences or my own research, my own reading. And like I say, there's a snowball effect. And I think that's happened, facilitated by the internet over the last, over the last decade or so. And now, well, if you, went, if you went looking for this stuff 10 years ago, there was very little on the internet. Mm. And there were a few books, you know, Patrick Harper, Springs to Mind, Graham Hancock, these kind of writers who, who were investigating the the phenomena. But they were few and far between. Now, if you go on to the internet and you go into a search engine and you put fairies, you will come up 
um, well, you you are able to go quite a long way down the rabbit hole. Absolutely, and and at the same time as well, I would say maybe in the last kind of um, fifteen years as well, it got really commercial. I mean, I know there's always been a massive commercial side to it anyway, mm-hmm. but the whole kind of fairy doors and fairy walks and and I mean, in that respect, I feel it's it's you know it's quite sweet because it's drawing people back into nature and and encouraging children um you know sometimes that might be the way to get your kid out the door for a walk um is the promise of finding fairy doors <laughs> um but that that's that got really huge as well but what i've noticed um since 2016 um when mark and i were researching down for the we had the devon chapter fairies in devon and yes uh, we went across dartmoor and we were putting up posters in pubs and cafes with um an illustration of a fairy man that my husband drew uh with words underneath have you seen this man and um (laughs) We didn't really get much comeback from that, just kind of strange looks from people. Uh, we, we were sort of encouraging people to get in touch with um, fairy experiences. But I did speak to a couple of people at the time uh, down there and heard some interesting encounters. But it was when we got back and, and set up the, the group. It was slow to start and I've always been really careful about letting people into the group very mindful about what's being shared and said on there but in the last say three years particularly it has just ballooned and now and we've got well over four thousand members but lots more people wanting to share people eager to tell their stories or feeling feeling safe enough to tell their stories um, without fear of ridicule but I think what's really lovely as well is the support that the other members of the group provide to that person who is sharing all and what people remark is it's just a a massive relief to be able to do that and that's how the podcast it serves that purpose really is for for somewhere to be able to share their story and for it to be witnessed yeah yeah no absolutely it's um uh, there's certainly been an exponential growth, not just in the modern fairy sightings page, but other similar kinds of page pages. My own on Facebook called the Fairy Code. It's mm. people pe- uh, over the last year or so. I would say there's suddenly, uh, if you were looking at a graph, there would be a sudden upcurve yeah. in the numbers of people interested in it. And and what you're saying, um, maybe this is another example of the snowball effects in that when people see other people start to explain and discuss experiences which previously would have been maybe not taboo but they'd have been afraid of sharing them for for the sake of ridicule Mm. and as soon as half a dozen people do it then another dozen people do it and then 24 people do it and yeah. then you've got hundreds of people who suddenly think, ah, right, it's okay. It's a legitimate thing to talk about. To talk about, yeah. And, uh, yeah, so, so I think that's partly the explanation for um, that kind of growth. I think there's also, 
another variable, another possible explanation for it in that certainly in the, these times, the last few years, and especially the, the last year, mm. I think people are looking for purpose and meaning. And that will often include some elements of spirituality. Uh, so, so obviously we're talking about the fairies, but you could you could look at other variables which include spirituality of one form or another. So there's a slight uptick in people getting interested in certain religions. That's sort of the obvious way to go, isn't it? But there's also an uptick in other esoteric phenomenon. So I'm thinking most especially of the UFO phenomenon, mm. which has dramatically the interest in it, uh, a number of people talking seriously about it, but not... Um, you know, not not just uh, unfounded woo-woo. We're, mm-hmm. we're, we're talking about people who are doing some real quality research and a lot more people are getting interested in it in the same way as they are for the fairies because people are starting to think that there's, there's more to this world than some reductionist, materialist outlook, which at root is quite nihilistic. There's got to be more. And I think that's another reason for, for, for the upsurge in interest. Welcome to the Alchemy of Natural Healing. I'm your host, Laurel Dewey. True healing is an alchemical process, meaning it must transform you on all levels, body, mind, and spirit. What affects one affects all three. True healing is one of the hardest journeys you'll ever travel. It's one of the most rewarding and fulfilling when you get to meet yourself for the first time. If you're ready to take that journey, let's get started. That is really interesting. I mean, I don't know whether you've heard me talk about this on one of the episodes because I know I have brought it up before, but, um, you know, there's this idea that when we get to a certain position in our evolution where we move away from that kind of ego-based Western society as we see it, power, power plays and um, control, when we move more into we are one planetary consciousness, once we have let go of our ego as a planetary consciousness, we might be ready to connect with you know, communities in the universe outside of our own. Um, That could be within our own earth and whatever worlds exist there and also in outer space. And um, I do, I know that does sound very woo-woo, but to, to a lot of people, but to me it makes sense. And I just wonder if this is a point in our evolution um as humans where we do get over ourselves and start to take these ideas of other worlds more seriously that's not to say that i mean we're, we're finding it ourselves of course this isn't a top down this is a bottom up thing we're finding it ourselves yeah i don't know what you think about that yeah, no absolutely i don't don't think it's woo-woo at all it's 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 a very reasonable explanation of what might be going on. You could come at it from a slightly different angle um, and talk about 
Carl Jung's collective unconscious, mm-hmm. where or whatever you want to call it, you know, the Akashic Records or 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 a collective of all human experience. And once that builds up to a certain level, perhaps there's a tipping point. And maybe there have been tip, many tipping points mm. in, in human history. And this is another one where you get a certain number of people uh, uh, plugging into that collective unconscious at one level, but also the build-up within that collective consciousness, yeah. which, which uh, I was going to say force change. I don't think it's going to force a change. It's just going to be a tip over into people perhaps understanding new realities. And this can work in many ways. I mean, what we've been talking about, people becoming more interested in esoteric subjects. But think about something as hard science as, as, as quantum physics, Mm. Um, which, uh, although quantum mechanics has been around for a hundred years, in the last couple of decades, once again, some of the completely crazy ideas that have come out from the smallest things we know about, um, such as the double slit experiment and quantum entanglement, these things do not match a reductionist materialist clockwork universe they are outside of it the basic pixels of life operate differently than they should within that materialistic worldview now uh, that takes a while to filter down from experimental laboratory work and theoretical physics into the general populace most people 20 years ago knew nothing about quantum physics whereas now there are hundreds of books aimed at a popular audience Mm -hmm. trying to explain what the what the the madness of the quantum world means for us and they're written by scientists by philosophers and general researchers and so more that's just just another example of that snowball effect where you've got so many people interested in and to to my my mind what i understand about certain elements of quantum physics it's more woo-woo than the fairies (laughs) yeah i need to look more into that but these are the sorts of um forces that might explain things like healing and other realities where uh one moment you know you um are suffering with some condition and then through those forces and through alternate realities if you have two people joining their consciousness together to achieve that shared view of what that new reality might be then you have somebody moments later who is healed from whatever um ailment they had well i well i i don't want to um go on the hard sell here but in my second novel called dead but dreaming um that's exactly what happens i mean mm-hmm. because it because it's fictional novel it's it, there's a creepy element to it as well but that that idea of going into someone else's consciousness yes in order to heal them from from whatever issue that may be um uh, uh it's 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 still science fiction at at this stage but, Not for some people, though, who but, practice it all the time. <laughs> well, well, exactly, and they do it, and they do it 
in different ways, as you, you yeah. know much better than than I do. But um, uh, it's if you try to explain that to your basic layperson, mm. they would they would think no, that cannot possibly be true because yeah. they've basically been. This is a bit of a strong word, but they've been indoctrinated into mm. that reductionism where that sort of thing cannot happen mm. and so so just a quick a quick step back to quantum physics that's 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 why i think quantum physics and what we what we know about it at this stage is so important because people know oh it's hard science that must be real and then they find out what quantum physics is saying and it's oh my goodness the world isn't as we thought it was exactly exactly so, so that's you know one route, yeah. route, route into it and and you, and at the level we're talking about today, about, about phenomena such as the fairies, the fact that more and more people are talking about it makes it more and more acceptable and more and more people will, oh, right, oh, I'm going to find out, I'm going to get a book or I'm going to go onto a, a website and just inform myself because mm-hmm. there are so many people talking about it, it can't be as crazy as I once maybe thought it was. Yeah, I think so. And also what I think is really important here is our relationship with nature. And I know there's a lot of really brilliant academics out there um, doing a lot of work around this as well. One of them being Dr. Jack Hunter. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm really inspired by the work that he is doing at the moment. Yeah, Jack is great. Yeah. And um, I think that one one end of the spectrum you could say you've got some kind of hard science going on with quantum physics and that there are some you know books that you can read to get to you know through those studies you could start to understand more at the other end you can literally just go out and experience things for yourself just just to just to feel for yourself what it's all about and you might not necessarily experience a fairy but in just by going out into nature which again a lot of people have been doing more over this last year they're feeling something it might just be bird song but they're they are receiving it in a different way than they did before it's almost like away from the the kind of crazy world that we were that we that we've come from and um and all of the rush and all of the busyness and all of the non-stop modern western society the stopping of that cycle and this kind of liminal space we're in people are looking for more meaning and the easiest way in which to do that is to just step into nature, to go for a walk. And of course, more and more people are doing that because it's now brilliantly, it's part of a lot of well-being uh, programs. Well, you know, in terms of well-being, being out in nature is uh, it's pretty much universal agreement that it will do you good. Mm. And uh, just two things to say, the last year of, of lockdown I think it could go either way. You've got mm-hmm. lots of people have got more time. And if they're lucky enough to have some sort of natural environment that they can easily get to, then they probably have been taking advantage of it more and realizing the benefits of it. The flip side of that is if you don't have uh, a natural environment on your doorstep that it's as easy access, you can retreat from the natural environment. So where you may have, once caught a train for half an hour and walked in a wood for the last year or most of the last year you haven't really been able to do that and so there's been a retreat for some people you know no idea what the percentages are uh, either way but that just it can work 
both ways. Mm. The the second thing, what you're saying about getting out and experiencing things directly, this this is actually quite an, a fundamentally important point yes. in what we're talking about, certainly in terms of the podcasts, which are all direct experiences. I usually call it gnosis. Um, so, so, you know, that direct experience of something is the only way that you will ever really know it. And once we've had that experience, no one can take it away from you. No one can rationalize it. No one can, uh, you know, they may try to explain it away to you, but you know that you've had it. And even if it's as simple as, like you say, hearing birdsong in the woods, where maybe you've never stopped to listen to that before yeah. that will have yeah. that has the pos that has the potential to have a transformatory uh, effect on you and of course if you get to a more numinous experience such as encountering non-human intelligent entities well no one's going to be able to take that away from you because you have experienced it directly it's not someone telling you a story about it you've had the experience i think that's incredibly important yeah that's so true what I find, you know, from talking to people on the podcast, what's been really wonderful, and I've loved each and every chat that I've had, because they're all so different. There's something that ties them all together. I think the people that I've spoken to have just been so lovely and open hearted as well. And, I, you know, it does make me wonder whether that is an aid <laughs> to seeing fairies um, to be so open like that. Maybe it's an openness to new experience. Maybe it's an openness to life itself. I'm not sure. I, th I think there are, there are, I think there are many, very many components to, to this about why people experience, uh, the, this type of phenomenon. One of the things that I talk about regularly is how many of these experiences seem to involve being in an altered state of consciousness. Now, that can come in so many forms. So from uh, the s simple thing of just being relaxed, uh, we've just been talking about going out in woodlands. If you live in a city and you go to a lovely woodland, you are likely to be in an altered state of consciousness from your mm. regular everyday consciousness. And then you can get the more purposeful or accidental states of consciousness, such as if, you, if you're meditating, if you uh, have some kind of trauma, you yeah. have some kind of illness, something, in, something like temporal lobe epilepsy, or if you purposely change your state of consciousness by taking a, a psychotropic. So there, the, those are on a, a kind of a, <laughs> a, a line of extremities in terms of how you alter your consciousness. But so often, and even in the podcasts, you know, how many have you done? 11, is it? 11, yeah. Uh, I think, I think all, everyone I've listened to, they have been in an altered state of consciousness in yes. some way. They've either been relaxed, they're feeling unhappy or they're nervous about something. They can, you know, it can work both ways. Mm. And as far as I'm aware, none of them were taking psychotropics or purpose, no. purposely meditating, but they could have been in a meditative state. And as soon as, as soon as this happens, 
there's the possibility that that reducing valve in your brain, as Aldous Huxley calls it, is tweaked. Mm. And things that are not normally let in, probably for good reason, because you can't live your everyday life on this planet if these type of things are always happening. But sure. <laughs> it, 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 it just allows, allows that to, to, to happen. And I don't, I, th I think it can happen to anyone. I don't think, it, well, there, there probably are special people. There are clairvoyants, there are seers, there are people who are just more attuned to this and will experience this these type of phenomena more often. I think that's definitely true. Yeah. But I also think it's true that anyone can experience this type of numinosity uh, at whatever level. Um, and it's because their normal states of consciousness are being are being altered, whether a little bit or radically. Well, yes, and and it seems that it's innate. It's it's within us to be able to see these beings and to reach altered states. And um, but we're very much snapped out of them. I mean, I remember as a kid at school. Um, I often think about it. It's a bit strange, really. But we, I think it was about six or seven and we were doing a roman project and i suddenly just went off into this daydream and just you know seeing myself back there and um this whole story kind of unfolding in my mind and i was just deep in this this daydream of being back in roman times and i got slapped on the leg by my teacher because back in back in the day yeah in the 80s i remember i remember well <laughs> You could get slapped, and um, and it was so shocking to my whole being, and I was obviously humiliated and and you know upset, but it was it was really really shocking, and it's this is something that that happens not necessarily being snapped, but you're snapped out of daydreaming when you're a kid if if you're in that sort of situation instead you, you know you might have parents that might encourage encourage the daydreaming and encourage the exploration of um your imagination or just you know some kids that are just allowed to, to go off and play in nature or to go off and play with their toys for hours and ends and just really really getting into their imagination those yep. are definitely altered states um or even you know when you're a kid and you are really ill when we were going through all our childhood illnesses as a kid I can remember having really crazy hallucinations but very very vivid and 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 talking to them talking to the, the people in my hallucinations but being able to talk to my parents about it yep. you know so if you can if if these strange states of consciousness or altered states of consciousness are accepted um at some level it becomes interesting for you as you you know throughout your life but if it's really switched off and seen as something that is to be quashed then ultimately you're going to shut that off well that can happen at many levels can't it um, i mean you're talking about the the usual thing in childhood you, we, we tend in our society to allow kids up to a certain age to you almost encourage things like um imaginary friends or um or, or them seeing fairies and playing with fairies that's encouraged to a certain age and then you get to a certain age i don't know what that age is but you need to stop now because you need to become acculturated to 
social norms and in our present society it is not a social norm to be seeing entities of whatever sort that other people can't see mm. and e even what you said about when you were a child and you were seeing you, you know you were hallucinating you describe it as hallucinating well how do you know you were hallucinating mm -hmm. yeah. it's uh, the the hallucinatory uh, the very word itself is used a lot not just for children but for people uh, who, who for many different reasons have experience and interaction with entities of, of whatever sort and the usual explanation you're hallucinating yeah um, I've yeah, I've written quite quite a lot about uh, the fact that uh, I don't think much of this is hallucination I think um, some of it is more fundamental than than that well I've very much enjoyed your two novels I think the second one you know you really are able to step into that it's very vivid and you really kind of get into the journey uh, well th thank you for saying that Joe. it's very very kind it's um uh, that's dead but dreaming dead but dreaming yep. is is the novel that came out last year um yep. so you know it's well I'm not going to explain it at all but uh, if uh, if people are interested in in fairy folklore um and more kind of psychological way of looking at altered states of consciousness and entity contact and um, mind to mind consciousness to consciousness interaction that's what the story is all about um i had to write it in 19 i had to set it in 1970 so that i could get loads of really good prog rock music yeah um <laughs> you have an accompanying cd or something playlist on few people have said that i'd absolutely love it but um someone would have to pay for it to be done so it probably won't happen yeah. but yeah so so that's that's what i like to explore and uh, the first novel which was four five years ago that, that was that was a bit more vicious to be honest i i was getting quite a lot of not very pleasant things from within me outside of me in order to mm -hmm. put into that novel and it's it's if 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 anyone came to me who was interested in in things such as fairies or altered states of consciousness uh entity contact numinous experiences etc i'd always point them to the second book i've got quite a lot more to say about the fairies um the, the it's a it's an ongoing exploration and understanding for me to, to find out uh, about them not just the the folklore which is you'll never get completely on top of the folklore there's so much of it yeah. you just need to you just need to understand as much as you can but I, I, I will probably concentrate much more on writing about the more esoteric elements of the fairies in 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 researched articles on my blog site and on, on in in articles and book chapters etc I, I think yeah. that's i think that's probably what i need to do for the next couple of years because i really i feel as though i haven't quite i'm not quite at the stage where i have a um a, a reasonably worked out interpretation for exactly what they are where they're coming from and why we're interacting with them mm -hmm. and that might never happen but i feel as though i can get a little bit closer to it i hope so anyway yeah, your blog site is absolutely brilliant. A really, really excellent resource. Just chipping in here to say that Neil's blog is at Dead 
bookbookdreaming.wordpress.com. Great to read. I mean, it's, it's yeah, it's a fabulous resource. Oh, uh, you know, you've, you've done so much great work on there and uh, it's it's so useful. Well, I, um, I, tr- I try to, the, the articles themselves need to have a kind of academic quality to them, but I've purposely, uh, so I rarely use references. All the references are inbuilt hyperlinks mm. because I just, I don't want to be pretending to be writing academic articles. I've done that in my, in my, mm. in, in my past. I, I know how to do it, but I don't think it's appropriate and not as useful to do that. And I think most people, sure, some academics are looking at it, but most people don't want to see, uh, you know, every sentence referenced to an obscure yeah. book that they're never going to be able to find anyway. They want, they want, they want the hyperlinks. They want to be able to go elsewhere, but they want a well-researched article, which is academic in tone, but also slightly journalistic in tone, so that they can get through whatever. You know, some of the articles are like ten thousand words, and people need to be engaged in that. I think that's very important. And if I can just do a little bit to uh, help with an interpretation of what the fairies might be, then I, I think I've done relatively well you've spoken about your experiences previously when you say that you are trying to sort of make make head or tail of what they are contacting or communicating with us for and you know how they're doing it and why is that based on your own experiences or is it based on what you're learning from elsewhere um, well, well, both, uh, without a doubt. I mean, certainly most of the articles that I'm writing for the blog site or websites or wh- whatever I'm writing for will use other people's experiences mm. wherever they co- wherever they come from, however well documented they are or not documented. You, you, you try to piece that together and get it under the skin of what might be going on on with those other people but more recently i've felt more able to talk about my own direct experiences we're coming back to that that direct knowledge that gnosis of uh, experiencing something firsthand and well you know i've been doing various podcasts over the last year or so where i've suddenly felt more able to talk about this uh, again we might be talking about the snowball effect where mm. where three years ago i didn't tell anyone about what's going on and what i've experienced whereas now it's well it's a little bit more acceptable and people aren't going to send around members from the psychiatric ward mm. yeah <laughs> <laughs> um and uh, and this goes back a long way it goes back to the 90s uh, when I, I had the first experience of a fairy um, and I've talked about this various times. I won't go into any great detail about it, but uh, the bottom line is that I was meditating in a place called West Kennet Longbarrow, mm. which is in Wiltshire in the southwest uh, of the UK. And it's basically a 5,000 plus year old burial chamber, but a burial chamber that would, be, would have been used for other purposes. And it was excavated in the 50s. So you can actually go in to this kind of underground. It's not underground, but it seems to be underground chamber at the front of this long barrow. Right. And uh, again, this is back in the 90s, late 90s. And I meditated in the main chamber 
uh, of of the barrow and experienced a fairy walking up the passageway towards me the experience lasting about 10 seconds and the fairy very much in the style of a brian frude fairy mm. now uh, it was extremely real it was hyper real uh, i hadn't taken any drugs hadn't been drinking it was just purely down i've been meditating for maybe 10 minutes before that that happened and since then as, as i've discussed various times before i'm thinking there's an element of me being predisposed to seeing a fruit fairy i'd been reading fruit looking at his illustrations for several years by then mm-hmm. and so if uh, an a non human intelligent entity of whatever sort turned up at that place at that time and interacted with me i think i was predisposed to see it as that whatever it really was it may have just been an energy form uh it, it could be uh, an alien a ghost whatever you might like to describe uh, an esoteric experience or an esoteric entity that's how it formed that's how it coded itself for me to see uh, at that at that point and since then the there's been very a lot of very similar type experiences some of them on the back of psychotropic drugs but more recently it w- uh, has been on the back of something called Charles Bonnet syndrome. Yes. Um, so I lost some of my eyesight, quite a bit of my eyesight in 2015. And very traumatic experience. I had to leave my job. Uh, I had to come to terms with, you know, I couldn't drive anymore. There were lots of other things I couldn't do. Uh, it, it became very difficult for me to, to be able to cope with that. Yeah. And very you know, months after that eyesight became such a problem, I started to experience what most people would call hallucinations. And if you go onto any Charles Bonnet information page, and there's a couple of support groups, they will always just say you're hallucinating. You're not going insane. It's purely your brain trying to make up for your sight loss. <laughs> it's now, such a, yeah, just well, that it's such a, make sense at all. <laughs> well, well, it's just a reductionist uh, mm-hmm. thing. So, you know, you, you th- these, these forums and, you know, the NHS site, etc. whoever's giving you advice are obliged mm-hmm. to come from a reductionist perspective, yeah. materialistic perspective, because if they didn't, they would be admitting that there is something beyond reality. Yeah. And they can't do it. I, I kind of understand why they can't do it. But having experienced this directly, these are not hallucinations. Mm. There is contact there. There's, there's a telepathic contact. The, the Again, the hyper-reality of those situations, those those interfaces with whatever these entities are. Um, other people with Charles Bonnet syndrome describe a wide remit of types that sometimes they see cartoon children. They will see animals. They will sometimes just see glo- glo- globes of light, geometric 
patterns, you know, a, a wide variety of, of forms. Um, but there are quite a sizable percentage of them will see what I would think of as fairy-like entities. And the ones that I see with my Charles Bonnet syndrome are definitely fairy-like entities. Mm -hmm. And again, is, is that just me um, coding them to my expectations? Something is there with me in the room for whatever reason. And when I perceive them, they manifest as uh, a, well a fruit type fairy. That's that. That's how they manifest. Yeah. But if if I was someone else, if I knew nothing about fairies, would they be manifesting as something else? That's. Mm. I, th I think that's. I think that's really interesting to 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 try and to get to the bottom of. But you'll only get to the bottom of it by carrying out a, a, a by dropping the reductionism, opening your mind, and thinking. Right, these these are not part of what we think of as consensus reality. They are something else, and they're coming from somewhere else, wherever that may be. Maybe within our collective consciousness, maybe a standalone reality. Whatever, wherever they're coming from, they're there at that moment, and you need to try and come to terms with that and understand it. Or that's that's the way I see it, anyway. Yeah, have you found that there's any pattern with? The communication with them I mean over time like for instance did you did you get eye contact with the first fairy in West Kennet yes that that was one of the most astounding things it wasn't just seeing like a 2d image um in 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 that barrow he came marching up the passageway looking directly at me like I say there was no audio communication that time mm. uh, the one of the slightly frustrating things about all of the experiences over the years is that they, there's a very little development arc there. Mm. It's not as though I'm being led towards greater and greater knowledge. And they're certainly not, they're certainly not telling me, you know, the meaning of life or anything such as that. Right. Um, the, the communication is, I would suggest always telepathic and always something along the lines of stop being so anxious because certainly since the eyesight failure five, six years ago, I've had quite high levels of anxiety. Uh, to, of course, yeah. Which is, you know, maybe a natural attribute of the, the trauma that the eyesight loss caused. Uh, and, and so they're always, I was going to say they're always friendly. They're, sometimes they're friendly, sometimes they're indifferent, or that's the way they seem. Yeah, yeah. But whenever they do contact me, and that's less than 50% of the times, usually it's just visual. Whenever they contact me, it's always along those lines, you know, stay calm, stay calm. And uh, and once, I think the second manifestation in, under Charles Bonnet syndrome in 2016, one of them said it in Spanish, which is mantena la calma. Mm. Uh, I, don't, I don't speak Spanish. And but I remembered the term and it took me ages to find out that that means in Spanish, stay calm. Don't worry about it. Wow. Um, and so make of that, I still haven't worked out <laughs> an interpretation for that. Although I did slip it cunningly. Into I was, was going to say, uh, yeah, I do. I do remember. I do remember. Um, You've got, you got to make the most, got to make the most of these. Uh, absolutely. Types of 
Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? So there's no particular pattern as such, but it's led you on a path, if you like, because the more that you have experienced this, the more you're able to investigate it and um, be able to give a commentary for other people who are interested in the matter as well. That's that's right. And once you've experienced it, especially when you experience it multiple times, you there's no doubt in your mind you you are able to understand it at another level than someone who has never had that type of experience mm. and that certainly helps helps me write and talk about these type of experiences and when i hear someone else talk about a similar type of experience my First, uh, I mean, people do this for various reasons, don't they? And you've always got to make sure they're trustworthy. They're not mm-hmm. just making it up. They're not deluded or doing it for any other reason. Once, But once you've satisfied yourself yeah. that that is the case, you can just listen to them and you've got an open mind enough to, to think, right, that's similar to my experience or dissimilar in this way, but it's an, a numinous experience of something outside of consensus reality. It's interesting, and I want to investigate it further. I think that that's the, the interesting thing about the the podcasts that you've been putting out is is it's much more in-your-face way of getting the information across rather than an article. In an article, you can talk about it at length and you can put all the references in. But people will be more, I think, more liable to to listen to these podcasts and take it in, especially if they're unfamiliar with this type of phenomena. Yeah, I think so, yeah. And, uh, you know, once, from my perspective... Uh, because I've experienced these things directly multiple times, I'm able to listen to these people and think, yeah, that, that's interesting. That's yeah. that's the similar to my experience or that's dissimilar uh, or this is similar to something else I've heard about. And there does seem to be, although they're all different experiences, they do seem to come together to me. If you, if, 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 if you listen to all the episodes one to 11, mm there is a common the various common factors which seem to tie in which to me suggests that we're talking about the same phenomena whether it's the chap seeing the uh, the sticky tree human mm. or the 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 lady seeing the children uh, in the dutch holloway oh yeah it, with 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 the kind of old fashioned clothes on and then there's a couple of uh, episodes with what I would think of as time slips, which is another common fairy motif. Yes. Gets, they all start to come together and, and you can always go back to the folklore and yeah. look at various folklore motifs and say, yeah, there, there's that one. Or the, 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 these stories in the podcast, what I'm saying is they, they would fit into the Arne Thompson motif index. It's perfectly. true. You're right. You know, I kind of started, I mean, I'm coming at it from my own experience and a massive interest in folklore. And um, I feel exactly the same when I'm speaking to my guests in the podcast. I'm kind of like, oh, yes, that's exactly how I felt or that's how it was for me. And it feels so good to be able to just talk about it to people. 
when I'm chatting to people on the podcast, I don't usually know the full story of what it is that they've seen. It might just be that I know that they have had some fairy experience and then we have a chat and that's what the, you know, the, the podcast is recording. That that it's interesting, and once again, with all of the with all of the, the podcasts, there was very little fear involved with yes. these encounters. There, there, there's a kind of what the what the the chap who described seeing the gnome on his bed when he was a child. But I think that's you know he was a child, yeah. and he, he was afraid for that. With, with most of the adult encounters, it's either it's either funny, it's they feel benevolent. Or it's just interesting. It's just, my goodness, what is going on? And I, I think that's quite important, actually, yeah. because that 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 also connects with, uh, I'm thinking about Simon Young and the Ferry Investigation Society census from a few years ago, where out of those 500 experiences, that seemed to be the case. There wasn't much fear there. No. It was it was always people being interested in, it. and this this does sort of go against some of most of the folklore, where as, yeah. as, as you know as as well as I, most people were were terrified of the fairies and they yeah. were to be avoided at all costs. Uh, so that's interesting. That it that, is so interesting to me, and I, I really want to look at that more. I really, you know, were they? Was that just was that just what they were? told to were they just told to be frightened and where did that come from there's this whole relationship with the church and you know demons and i i I just i think it really needs looking at more closely and that this is why it's so great to, to have people talking about it now because it isn't something that we need to be frightened of it's part well in my mind in my my feeling is that it this is all part of nature it's kind of the the dark. It's almost the dark side of nature, not in a not in a a frightening dark side of nature way, but in the shadow of nature, the the depth of nature, the part of nature that we just haven't yet met in a way that we fully understand. Well, it's some... um, it's, it's that's interesting that you you talk in that way, in that a lot of people will correlate absolutely the fairies with nature spirits and although there's a little bit of controversy again as you, as you will know amongst folklorists about fairies are not nature spirits but from my view, viewpoint from research i've done again i would say these entities are all coming from the same place and simply manifesting in slightly different forms under certain circumstances. And because of our increased awareness of perhaps the environmental issues of the 20th, 21st century, yes, we're more liable to experience the nature spirits. It's, it's, your, it's your dark, deep nature trying to communicate with us whatever that mm. communication is and whether we can understand it is, is, is another issue, mm. but they, are uh, they are coming, you know, a lot of the examples in that fairy investigation society census, as well as your podcasts and a lot on the Facebook page are people talking about what you would usually think of as nature spirits. And they will even describe them as nature spirits. Mm. And of course that goes back a long way. It goes back, to Paracelsus in the 16th century and the Theosophist movement in the 20th century, 
who were talking about exactly that same thing. You know, Rudolf Steiner is, talks extensively yes. about, about how these nature spirits are fundamental to the natural world. And without them, the, uh, the natural world will not exist as it, as it, uh, as it has done. Um, yes. So, you know, there's a long history behind this, but I think there's been an upsurge in people experiencing these entities where the interface is such that they see them as nature spirits. Yeah, I, and I think that's a really good point you make about the, you know, the issues we're experiencing with um, threat to our environments um, globally, that the their voice is getting louder and uh, I, I do wonder whether they're reaching out to us. Are we, we reaching into them or are they reaching out to us? Or maybe it's a bit of both. But I, th- I think it's a bit of both for sure. It does work, feel work, like, works both ways. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, in, in, you know, on good days, I like to think that it feels as if we're pointing in the right direction. That this is a positive symptom <laughs> of yeah. uh, humanity that we are reconnecting, and and I also think when when the folklore was being collected in the 19th century that was at a time of you know great industrialization and we are going through another period like that now with a kind of digital evolution and i just wonder also whether they pop up at times like this i mean it's certainly absolutely true that the environment is being threatened their environment is being threatened well they are the earth they are part of earth in some way that we don't really quite understand yet but they they are part and parcel of the earth as we are yeah and i think that depends on i mean you can come at that from like a material perspective uh, looking at us as organisms and the earth as, as a giant organism mm. apart, which is certainly true to a certain extent but I'm, I'm thinking more in terms of consciousness mm. um, uh, you know the, the the idea that consciousness is primary and materiality is secondary so everything is being created by consciousness and, yes I agree uh, uh, and if they are a part of a greater consciousness along with ours, our collective consciousness, maybe that change that is happening now, and it's been happening, well, for decades now, uh, uh, um, explains why there may be an upsurge in the interfacing between whatever they are and our consciousness but i think it's at a consciousness level that we need to 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 look at this so whenever i see i I know i I know you think the same way about this whenever i see people taking photographs of fairies uh i'm not i'm not completely ruling it out but i do not believe that you can capture them within materiality we are experiencing them as we said right at the beginning through an altered state of consciousness that mm-hmm. plugs into something beyond how we are experiencing the electromagnetic spectrum. It's just, it, it, that's the way it works. Yes. So you can't, you can't photograph them. You can't capture them and put them, put them in a glass glass case. They appear at certain times for certain reasons in certain places, but it's only within our consciousness that 
we can um, uh, that we can interact with them. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think in terms of you know photographs, and I know they provide a lot of meaning for people, but that it's exactly that. It's what they have perceived with their own eyes and then taken a picture of it or maybe they've been using their camera and looked at the photo afterwards but I think the the important point there is what did it mean to them Mm -hmm. it's a personal thing it's something that they have experienced and it's what did it mean to them and so that that photograph can be meaningful to them but um I agree it doesn't capture what you can't I, I don't believe you can take photographs of fairies I don't I, I think um, that, that you, that's a really important point it's it's the event rather than the thing so yeah. when they took that photograph they may have been looking at uh, 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 an entity yeah. of, of whatever type what then comes out on that material photograph is not that entity no it's but that doesn't mean the event didn't happen it's all it's i mean the obvious one is the cottingley fairies isn't it sure. where um you know they were faked but uh, the elder girl i forget i forget the elder girl's name you know late francis francis is the eldest one isn't she and so. and later in life when they were being questioned about it uh she was saying oh yeah we did we did fake them but there were fairies there and that's yeah. That's very important. They were trying to manifest in that in that in that way what they were experiencing, and that for anyone taking a photo of what they think of as as a, as a fairy, um, they're trying to manifest that, and it's the event that is important, not the the end product of that photograph, which in in to my to my mind will will never show uh, a non-human intelligent entity that is um well uh, not usually working within the electromagnetic spectrum yeah yeah and i and i suppose it's a way of kind of um, maybe it's a way of sort of showing the world look you know they're true but i think people are only ever going to be ready to um open themselves up to to this fact that um they do they do in fact exist um, as part of an alternate reality you know if people aren't ready for that that that's not our business to to tell them otherwise it's um, it's, it's not but coming you know coming back to the uh, our, one of our original points is that there are many many more people now open to the idea that this type mm. of idea that this phenomenon might exist in some shape or form yeah. than even a couple of decades ago because of that quick spread of information via the internet i think yeah it's the most it's important great. way that's happened well it will be really interesting to see seeing as all this activities happened in the last sort of three to five years what and particularly this year um what happens in the next five years because uh well who knows really but i i am quite excited to see where these investigations go and i think simon young census um is still running as well so this will be 2018 to is it still running or is is he, it uh, he, he aims to publish the new census either later this year or maybe at the start of next year that's that's the last time i talked to him yeah, yeah. i mean that's uh that's you know really exciting it, it is it's, uh, I mean, that, it's, it, it's a great resource and it's it's great it to is. read these uh, the, these the, these descriptions uh, which some of which are, are absolutely 
amazing yeah, and really and you cool. get and you get the impression that okay a few few of them may be wind-ups mm-hmm. um but you get the definite in, impression that most of these people are just telling with as much integrity as possible what they've experienced in in the same way as the people on your podcast have done yeah 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 well thank you very much neil it's really really good to talk and um must have a chat again and and at some point and um reassess the landscape in terms of the fae and uh yeah i do feel quite excited about things i feel like there's definitely something happening i don't know what that is but certainly the podcast which started as a an idea uh because i just was not getting around to doing my phd and i was having had a baby finding um you know excuses excuses (laughs) yeah (laughs) finding very little time for writing the book but the podcast uh, when it came up through meditation the idea came for that um during lockdown and really strong and i thought i I, you know how am i going to do i don't know how to do podcast uh next minute i'm doing a podcast but this is so much energy behind it 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 really has got its own momentum um well they are they are excellent and uh it's uh like i say it's a brilliant way to get this type of information over to people uh, especially in those nice they're usually about 30 minutes aren't they yeah and people, well, you know what people are like. If it's over an hour, they'll oh, not as into that. Whereas 30 minutes, you can listen to it in the car or you can just, you know, fit it into your day quite easily. Yeah. And yeah. The, the, it, they, the, the, they're very, very useful for helping people try to understand the phenomenon. They are. And I think fundamentally for people like you and I who have actually had experiences, uh, to hear other people talk about theirs is just everything i mean it it just really really helped i'm really glad you enjoy them too i love them i really enjoy it (laughs) and um let us know when your next project's going on and we can check into your page at dead but dreaming it's deadbutdreaming.wordpress.com that's it yeah and fairy code on facebook that's right. There's a, the fairy code is, is t- tends to just anything I find useful, whether it's articles or or artwork. You know, good artwork, um, uh, anything fairy related, uh, I will stick it up there, and it tends to get quite a good, quite a good coverage. Oh, cool! And uh, I'll put a load of links anyway on my show notes. But um, yeah, thanks very much, Neil, for joining me, and speak soon. Thank you very much, Joe. I, I really you. enjoyed it. So great to catch up with Neil. He's got some amazing insight into this area and some really, really interesting perspectives and points of view. There are so many angles to take, but they all lead back to the same point that people like you and I see fairies and that at present we just don't have the understanding to fully explain it. I like that there is now so much information out there about this subject. I've provided some links to other recent interviews that Neil has given where he provides a deeper dive on some of the topics that we discussed, such as the Charles Bonnet syndrome, 
and the study of psychotropics, the visual imagery that they result in and how these resemble the reports of fairy sightings. Just a note for you fact-checkers who are about to um, email me or tweet me, we did mention the two girls in the Cottingley Fairies incident, and while Frances was the one that maintained they'd seen fairies, she was actually the younger of the two, but perhaps the more outspoken one. This being the last episode, I'm now taking a two-month break to catch up with interviews in preparation for Series 2, which I'll begin on June 13th. But here is the thing. If you've been listening and you enjoy the show, I want you to get involved. And I want to hear what you love about the show, what you'd like to hear more of, less of, and any other aspects of fairy encounters that you'd like us to explore together. As regular listeners will know, this show is created for people to share their experiences, but also, very importantly, for others who've had their own encounters to know that they're not the only ones. Personally, the first time I saw a fairy, I wasn't prepared for it, and I didn't have anyone to immediately discuss it with. This experience forms the basis of my initial interest. I haven't yet told my own story, so on my birthday this year, May the 4th, Yes, I am a Beltane baby. I'd like to share with you a special bonus episode where I can tell you about my own experience and how it eventually led to the creation of this podcast. During the show, I'll also be revealing how you can get involved with shaping the next series by joining me for a group discussion. So stick May the 4th in your diary and I hope to meet with you and hear your ideas. Thanks so much to all you listeners who've joined me on this, our initial expedition together into the unknown. It feels so good to know that you're with me. We're learning all the time and we continue seeking with love in our hearts so that we always remain curious.